Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, who've been pretty busy this week. Goliath Technologies, who just posted a really great blog post by my fellow Citrix CTP, George Spears, on analyzing Citrix logon duration using Goliath's great product. It's a really in-depth blog post, too. You should check it out. Podcast also brought to you by Policy Pack. Pretty relevant for helping to reduce the logon duration by optimizing your group policy and by allowing you to do group policy the correct way. I happened to do some technical demos of Policy Pack this week at the Irish Citrix User Group in Dublin. And of course, the podcast is also brought to you by Liquidware, who are at VMworld Europe and we're at a future work event in uh, Manchester, England. So a busy week for all my sponsors. If you enjoy the podcast each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. Pretty big week for new releases. VMware Horizon version 7.10 and VMware Horizon Client version 5.2 have been released. There's now greater portability in image management, allowing you to reuse and deploy your images across on-premises and cloud-connected sites. Instant clones now have support for IP version 6. There is now support for RTX GPU. The Horizon console dashboard now provides you with a quick view of the status of your Horizon services, sessions, and health, and puts the console at feature parity with Horizon 7 Administrator. There are also updated uh, hosted app icons, and it shows instant clone status for RDSH and more. Probably the biggest new feature, in my opinion, is browser content redirection, which is something Citrix brought to their product several releases ago, but has proven to be quite popular. So it's cool to see that available in Horizon now too, as it helps you offset a lot of the resource tax of running things like rich video content in a browser in a published published session by offsetting it down to the user's local client desktop. And this is particularly ideal for those shared machines. Horizon also brings support for Skype for Business 2019 Q3 and Day Zero OS updates. There have also been enhancements to drag and drop functionality so you can move files and folders back and forth between your Mac or Windows clients and the Windows agent. This is much easier than using, say, USB drives or other methods to move files and folders. Some other notes. This version provides your end users with the ability to customize the resolution and scaling factor for each desktop on both Mac and Windows clients. There's beta support for Microsoft Teams optimization for Windows, Mac, and Linux clients. There's beta support for Zoom for audio and video optimization for the Windows client. And they also provide enhancements to the real-time audio-video redirection, multiple streams in nested mode, and supporting multiple audio-video streams simultaneously from the client to the agent. There have also been enhancements to the HTML5 client and the BLAST protocol overall. There has also been an update to app volumes, which brings support for IP version 6 and rolling upgrades. 
User Environment Manager has been rebranded to Dynamic Environment Manager and brings improved troubleshooting capabilities by detecting performance issues, including connectivity, storage, or lack of resource issues, plus more. There is also a new condition evaluator. This new evaluator for conditions can read user or computer-based Active Directory ob object attributes and use them to apply dynamic environment manager policies. So a pretty significant release. And I'll share links if you want to read about all of these release notes for yourself. And in what I'm sure is not a coincidence, Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktops version 19.09 was also released this week. Some of the notable updates that I could see is logic built into scheduled restarts of VDAs through Studio that it can now detect if there is a database outage when reboots are being attempted and instead schedule the reboots on a delay to allow a recovery to happen first. There's also been some enhancements to power management of desktops through Studio to address some shortcomings in managing power of desktops that are in a disconnected state. Citrix Scout now supports being run against your Citrix license servers and storefront servers too. There is a configuration check that now also runs on delivery controllers. Machine catalogs now feature different naming. They no longer highlight desktop versus server OS. Now it's multi-session OS and single session OS, which is pretty interesting. It may be an indication of where they intend to go with this in the future. I wonder if Windows 10 EVD in Citrix Cloud is going to be something we can look forward to. You can also now configure your on-premises Citrix virtual apps and desktop site with Citrix Analytics for performance analysis. The VDAs are bringing support for AMD hardware encoding. You can now link different groups of URLs to different specified published applications instead of to only one published application. Though that last enhancement requires you to run the Citrix Workspace app 1909 for Windows. There have also been some updates to Citrix WEM 1909. A pretty important feature is the option to automatically reduce the CPU priority of processes that overload your CPU. Um, now you can just use a single configuration set for different machine catalogs. So it's enhancing that intelligence for handling these anomalies or spikes in your CPU. As well as all of what I just mentioned, and there is more even that I'm not mentioning, you can read about the rest for yourself. Uh, but there's also multiple fixes in this release, though not as many as usual in my opinion, not as many fixes. Hacker News has reported on September's Patch Tuesday that addresses 79 security vulnerabilities, 17 of which are rated critical, 61 rated as important, and one moderate in severity. Three of the vulnerabilities are privilege elevation flaws, one in Windows Tech Service Framework, another in the Windows Common Log File System Driver, and the other within the operating system itself. Microsoft has also released patches for four critical RCE vulnerabilities in Windows' built-in RDP client that could enable a malicious RDP server to compromise a client computer. The newly patched RDP vulnerabilities are all client-side, which require an attacker to trick victims into connecting to a malicious RDP server via social engineering. 
Alternatively, they could use other tactics like DNS poisoning or a man-in-the-middle attack. With the September patches, there's also a fix to address how Windows processes .lnk shortcut files. With this vulnerability, a Microsoft advisory says, quote, the attacker could present to the user a removable drive or remote share that contains a malicious .lnk file and an associated malicious binary. When the user opens this drive or remote share in Windows Explorer or any other application that parses the .lnk file, the malicious binary will execute code of the attacker's choice on the target system. So basically, it's the Wild West. It's like a free-for-all with those .lnk files if the attacker does it right. And all of what I just mentioned are just a few of those 79 vulnerabilities that are patched. So that should be good enough to sway you to patch for September. Happy patching, everyone. And unfortunately, it's not all good news. PC World reported news of a potentially bad patch. A patch intended to fix issues with Windows Search have caused issues with multi-channel audio in some PC games. The issue lies with KB4515384, which Microsoft acknowledges enabled certain games to query support and render multi-channel audio, but now, due to customer feedback, they intend to revert this change. The issues only affects users of Windows 10 May 2019 update, which is version 1903. A patch is expected in late September. For now, as a workaround, multi-channel audio can be disabled. Microsoft also reported an issue with the Windows Input Method Editor, or IME, which can translate keystrokes on an American-style keyboard into foreign languages. In this case, the affected IMEs include the Chinese Simplified and Chinese Traditional with quick keyboards. In this event, using the keyboards may result in high CPU usage, or the keyboards may simply become unresponsive. The issue affects numerous Windows client versions, including that May 2019 update I just mentioned and its predecessor, the October 2018 update. This is in addition to the CPU spikes reported on last week's episode, which is one of the earliest issues noticed in the wild after the most recent Patch Tuesday. So of course, yep, take the patches, but obviously do it in a staggered approach. Always good to have that pilot group. In what's probably the most interesting story this week, out of the Des Moines Register, which reported an arrest of two pen testers who were caught breaking into the Dallas County Courthouse. They were found with multiple burglary tools and told authorities they were on contract to test out the courthouse alarm system's viability and how to gauge law enforcement's response time. An alleged contract that Dallas County officials said they had no knowledge of, according to the criminal complaint. They were told that the two men were in fact hired to check for potential security vulnerabilities of Iowa's electronic court records. But the state court administration, quote, did not intend or anticipate those efforts to include the forced entry into a building, end quote. The state court administration issued an apology two Dallas County officials who are continuing to investigate the break-in. Meanwhile, the men have been charged with third-degree burglary and possession of burglary tools. Their bond has been set at $50,000. So I guess they just took exception with their methods, which I'm wondering, did they agree to allow them to use whatever methods they deemed 
appropriate. It'll be interesting to see how this one unfolds. If this story is as interesting to you as it is to me, you should check out the Frontline Chatter podcast episode where Jerry and Gibson and I interviewed security expert Patrick Coble, who works as a pen tester himself. He tells us some things about being a pen tester, like his wardrobe of different uniforms, like a geek squad uniform, and stories of pen tests gone wrong and much more. Microsoft have pushed back the end of support date for Exchange Server 2010 by 10 months to October 13th, 2020. This new date aligns with end of support for Office 2010 and SharePoint Server 2010. It will give customers more time in their migration efforts. The Wi-Fi Alliance officially started its Wi-Fi 6 certification program this week. As covered on a previous episode of the podcast, Netgear were very early on adopters and announced Wi-Fi 6 compatible devices a few months ago. Cisco, Samsung, and several others also announced support with the latest and greatest iPhone that was announced just last week also supporting Wi-Fi 6. And if you'd like to learn more about Wi-Fi 6 and just Wi-Fi in enterprise in general, you should come along to E2EVC in Lisbon, Portugal this November. Ariane Bayer and I will be doing a session on Wi-Fi and enterprise. So come along. Google Cloud have announced Anthos, which is a platform to connect microservices and offer fully managed serverless workloads. It's being aimed at developers, cloud service administrators, and IT executives who are looking to modernize infrastructure. Anthos is designed to connect, secure, monitor, and manage microservices. ZDNet reports Anthos added automation and organization-specific policies to their Anthos config management and binary authorization to ensure that only verified images are integrated into their application build process. So it's ensuring yet more news of a cloud vendor focusing on serverless workloads, microservices, containers, that sort of thing. ZDNet this week reported on an announcement by Oracle. Oracle Autonomous Linux, which provisions itself, scales itself, tunes itself, and patches itself while running. Oracle CTO Larry Ellison stated the company's ultimate goal is to build the world's first complete and truly autonomous cloud. He also claimed it's designed for extreme performance, for high reliability, for security, and we're autonomous. Meaning Oracle, I guess. (laughs) I guess best of all, the OS is free for Oracle Cloud Infrastructure customers. So if you're a current customer, this is coming your way. Forbes have reported that Google's crack security team at Project Zero have uncovered another vulnerability, this time a password leak by LastPass. In a tweet posted September 16th, Google Project Zero analyst Tavis Ormandy stated that LastPass could leak the last used credentials due to a cache not being updated, adding this was because you can bypass the tab credential cache being populated by including the login form in an unexpected way. Ormandy reported the vulnerability back on August 29th. It said the circumstances in which this could be exploited are quite limited and are specific to browser extensions in Chrome and Opera. Ferenc Kun. A security engineering manager for LastPass has stated, quote, 
To exploit this bug, a series of actions would need to be taken by a LastPass user, including filling a password with the LastPass icon, then visiting a compromised or malicious site, and finally being tricked into clicking on the page several times. So although it's a vulnerability, it's one that, you know, you'd have to really fall into, I guess. And I think most people who are using LastPass probably aren't that foolish. Maybe calling people foolish like that is a dangerous game, but I'm lacking the words at the moment. But it's kind of a side issue anyways because the vulnerability has thankfully already been patched. Sean Metcalf on Twitter highlighted something I was not aware of. In an upcoming release in early 2020, Microsoft will provide a Windows update that, that by default will change the LDAP channel binding and LDAP signing to a more secure configuration. Sean also provided two links to articles detailing how you can enable this right now to make sure that you're prepared for the change when it comes. I will share these articles with this episode which is episode 90 on 5bytespodcast.com. You'll find it under reference links. Hacker News reports that iOS 13, just became available, contains a vulnerability that could allow anyone to bypass the lock screen protection on your iPhone and access some sensitive information. Jose Rodriguez, a Spanish security security researcher, contacted the Hacker News and revealed that he discovered a lock screen bypass bug in iOS 13 that allowed him to access the full list of contacts on his iPhone and every piece of information saved on them. It's reported that iOS 13 did and will ship with the bug and it will possibly be patched with version 13.1 which should arrive by the end of September. Interestingly, Rodriguez discovered a similar bug in iOS 12.1 last year. If you listened to last week's episode, you would have heard me talk about the new DOE protocol or DNS over HTTPS, which will, as the name suggests, encrypt DNS traffic protecting your your browsing history. Well, good news is Google are to run DNS over HTTPS in experiment mode in Chrome. And from the ZDNet report on this, it sounds like the implementation may be similar in ways to Mozilla's, suggesting that the browser could try to use the new protocol by default, and if it fails, to just use the more traditional DNS resolver service. It was pointed out that the protocol is two years old, and while Mozilla have been testing with it for a while now, Google are just jumping in right now. It sounds like it's a win-win for us users. The use of Doe is expected in Chrome version 78 for users who meet certain criteria. Bleepingcomputer.com have reported on a pretty nasty Microsoft Teams vulnerability. Essentially, any signed files put into a certain mock installation folder can be freely executed bypassing security. It suggested the issue lies with a Squirrel one-click installer, which is quite popular. Other vendors' products like Slack, WhatsApp, and Grammarly also use it. Engineer Regan Richard demonstrates an exploit with a mock update.exe, which would be a very easy way to exploit this to trick the update process or a user who wants to manually update into executing some malicious code. Microsoft is aware of the problem, but have decided not to address it. The researcher says that the reason the company gave him was that the glitch did not meet the bar of security issue. 
So that's interesting. <laughs> this week, NVIDIA launched NEMO R, the non-abbreviated version, Neural Modules, which is a framework agnostic toolkit for building artificial intelligence applications powered by neural modules. Current support is for PyTorch framework. It's also available right now on GitHub, and they have included some useful tutorials showing speech recognition and natural language processing examples. Sophos posted a really in-depth article on WannaCry this week, and if you're thinking, yawn, WannaCry is so two years ago, you'd be wrong. WannaCry variants are still actively infecting machines, and even for those who are not getting infected, the endpoint security products in use around the world are still intercepting it. The report finds that more than 12,000 WannaCry variants were found in the wild two years after the malware was supposedly conquered for good. It also found that more than 5 million attempted attacks against unpatched computers were blocked in the last three months of 2018, and that's just the ones that Sophos's visibility into through Sophos endpoint security being installed and reporting back to them. More than 97% of unpatched computers under attack were running Windows 7, so it's not just a story of forgotten XP devices. And a few people actually paid the ransom, even though there's no point in doing so. The criminals behind the relevant Bitcoin addresses aren't monitoring payments or providing decryption tools anymore. There's a full white paper available through Sophos, and I'll provide a link with this episode. Speaking of security, one of the greatest security products in the world, in my opinion, is made by Bromium, who have now been acquired by HP. There's really not much to talk about yet because terms of the deal have not been disclosed, but this could be pretty exciting if HP handles this right. If you're not familiar with Bromium, they do just different level type of security, essentially running almost everything on your devices through this like isolated micro VM, sanitizes it, makes sure it's all good, and then allows it to run on your your system. And it's also using machine learning to learn from everything it has processed in the past to speed up the processing in future, and also just learn itself and become even more secure. I have a lot of love in my heart for HP, but Honestly, they have a pretty bad track record for nurturing products after they acquire vendors. I really hope they start to buck that trend with Bromium because it would be great to see this used more widespread in enterprise. Cameo announced a new service this week called RDP Port Shield. Cameo's RDP Port Shield is a unique new tool for protecting against brute force attacks and ransomware. It automatically closes all RDP ports to the entire world and then dynamically opens and closes them specifically to authenticated users based on whitelisted IP addresses and only when needed. To date, Cameo RDP Port Shield is the first security solution capable of automatically and dynamically opening and closing RDP ports on the fly at the Windows firewall level rather than statically. Best of all, this is enabled right now for all existing Cameo customers at no additional cost. And they've also been kind enough to release an open source tool for the community called RDP Mon to help every organization better monitor and identify the brute force attacks in their environment. 
Acronos, a company that specializes in data protection and storage, received $147 million of funding this week. According to Forbes, the valuation of the company has now risen to more than a billion dollars, putting it into the unicorn category. With offices in Bulgaria, Arizona, and Singapore, they could certainly be one to watch. Citrix posted a slew of good blog posts this week, including one that details Kubernetes with Citrix ADC, specifically walking through provisioning an external load balancer on the Tier 1 Citrix ADC on bare metal clusters. Another blog post was particularly interesting. It showed provisioning full clone server OS VMs using MCS. Seems a little odd to post this as the article calls out the fact to get it to work, you need to modify your database and it's not supported by Citrix. But it's still interesting to see it's possible nonetheless. For other blog posts, including details on Citrix's upcoming Converge event, check out citrix.com blogs. Ali Othman at AWS this week shared a blog post on how you can bring your app V packages with you to AWS AppStream. The blog post details using the AppV full infrastructure with the dynamic application framework to publish AppV streamed apps through AppStream. While I'm sure the method suggested works, it is a bit of work to set up. My personal preference would be to just use AppV scheduler instead of that full infrastructure. It would be interesting to see that instead of this full infrastructure to really get that AWS AppStream cooking with diesel. Go-EUC.com had another fantastic blog post this week. This one is about FSLogix. Omar compares performance between FSLogix profile containers and traditional roaming profiles with a large profile size and a more regular profile size. The results are really interesting. Since everyone now pretty much owns FSLogix as an enterprise customer, you should really check this out for yourself. As usual with this kind of community-driven content, I'm not going to give it away on the podcast, I just wanted to highlight it and encourage you to go to go-euc.com to read it for yourself. And now the weekly webinar. The awesome Thin Kiosk recently had a new version released, version 5.4. They had a webinar about a week ago that is now available on demand. The session features a demo of Think Kiosk, a brief overview of the management console, and the new features obviously available in 5.4. The webinar is only 20 minutes long, and it's timestamped for your convenience, so you can just jump to the sections that are the most relevant to you. So if you're already familiar with Think Kiosk and the management console, maybe you're only interested in skipping to the what's new in 5.4. And now, Scripts, tricks, and tips. James Kinnon this week shared his WEM agent cache refresh script. So I learned from Hal Lang when setting up WEM to have a script that does a cleanup on startup. James suggests that he has not had any agent issues whenever using this method and has shared his own scripts for others to use. If you are new to WEM or considering it, check this out and use these scripts. I may actually end up swapping out my own scripts for these. Ryan Butler also shared scripts that leverage Terraform and Ansible to deploy a fully functional Citrix virtual apps and desktop environment with two delivery controllers plus director, two storefront servers, one SQL server and license server, and a single standalone VDA. The scripts build that out in vCenter. 
And guess who hasn't fully set back up his home lab since I moved to Ireland? This guy. I think I'll have to try this out. This could be a really quick win for me to get my stuff set back up. Office365ITPros.com have a short but sweet blog post on enabling PowerShell logging and how you can use it to help track potential attacks against your Office 365. The great Sam Jacobs shared a PowerShell script that can allow you to pass credentials and keep them encrypted. This is something that comes up a lot and has forced some to use third-party tools in the past. If that sounds like you, you'll want to check this out for yourself. And finally, this last one blew my mind. I couldn't believe that I didn't know this existed. You know how routinely Outlook will pop up calendar reminders for meetings that have already occurred? Well, it turns out you can disable this very easily by just going to File Options Advanced and check the box to automatically dismiss reminders for past events. And it's just in the Reminders section. So thank you, Janet Microsoft, for pointing that out. Well, this week's episode was longer than usual. It's because it came out a little bit later than usual. I was delayed in posting because I was uh, at the CUGC in Dublin this week. I hope this podcast episode finds you all well. And as always, thank you so much for your support and for listening.